consider what it would be like to bear the weight of failure and then to bear the weight of you failing individually and the consequences going beyond you. We see this played out in the sports world and in athletics. Might be the first baseman of a certain Boston Red Sox team failing to make a play and then for years, even decades later, letting down his team and the supporting cast. Our individual failures bring consequences to our own lives, sure, but often bring consequences to uh, our, our family. Sometimes our failures bring negative consequences in our place of employment. Our individual failures bring cons negative consequences to others in our place of employment or in other relationships that we have. But imagine how you would feel if your failures brought dire consequences to an entire nation. What kind of response would you have? And what kind of response would the people of that nation be, call, be called to have? Would you please turn in your copy of the Scriptures to the book of Joshua? If you're using the Pew Bible this morning, it can be found on page 171. Joshua is the sixth book of the Christian Old Testament, and it records some of the history of the nation of Israel. Now, we are going through this study fairly rapidly, and we have divided our study uh, in the, the, the book of Joshua, and the first five chapters describe the entrance of Israel into the Promised Land. Chapters 6 through 12 describe uh, how Israel is fighting for the promised land. Chapters 13 through 21 is the distributing of the promised land. And then it closes in chapters 22 through 24 uh, about some, giving some admonishments about the promised land. So we're here in that second section where Israel is fighting for the promised land. And we've made our way up to chapter 8. The theme of our study is, is a history of our promise-keeping God. The book is actually a history of how God keeps his promises. And in this book of Joshua, God selected a man by the name of Joshua to lead the children of Israel from wandering around in the wilderness into a land that he had promised to their forefathers, to their ancestors, many years before. So, they, so Israel ceases from wandering around the wilderness and goes into a land that had been promised to Abraham hundreds of years earlier. It's been a few weeks since we were here in our study in Joshua. So let me remind you that Israel has conquered the city of Jericho at this point. But it was during that battle that Israel sinned. They disobeyed God's instruction. And as a result of that disobedience, they experienced humiliation. And they experienced defeat at the hand of Ai, the city of Ai. And that's precisely where we begin in Joshua chapter 8. The days following a miserable failure. Victory, then defeat. We can relate to this, can't we? It's a pattern that we have seen in our own individual lives as followers of Jesus. Ups and downs. Victories and defeats. Christian, Joshua chapter 8 teaches us that God remains faithful. God remains faithful even when we don't. God is still faithful when we have sinned against Him. Now, if you've come to this gathering, to this church service this morning, as a non-Christian, you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus, my prayer has been that you will be sobered 
by the warning of this passage and that you will ultimately be rescued from the due penalty of your own sin. Consider the hopelessness that Israel must have felt after this miserable failure of sinning against God's instruction as they went into Jericho and of their humiliation at Ai. No doubt they sensed distance between them and God. They sensed their guilt over sin, grief over loss of life, and maybe even doubted that Jehovah was going to give them the promised land after all anyway. After our own miserable failures, we have similar feelings. We feel the conviction from our sin. We may not sense God's nearness. We are frustrated with ourselves for our own foolish choices of sin. And maybe we even begin to doubt if God will still love us, if God will still be faithful to us. Perhaps that's you on this Lord's Day. Your miserable failures are ever before you, to use the psalmist verbiage. Are you weary because of your sin? Joshua 8 teaches us that miserable failure plus miserable failure does not equal hopelessness when Jehovah God is part of the equation. You can find hope in the faithfulness of this promise-keeping God. There are probably many ways that we can see the faithfulness of our promise-keeping God in Joshua chapter 8, but this morning we're going to note four of them. Four ways that the faithfulness of God is displayed to His children. So first of all, our promise-keeping God's faithfulness to give assurance of His help. Our promise-keeping God gives assurance of His continued help to us. Mom, we're thinking about moms today, right? Mom, maybe you had the blessing of knowing the positive effect of an, of an assuring mom. Now, it's not like mom actually did your homework for you. I hope, right? It's not like that mom actually did your homework, but she assured you that she was there for your help. Assurances of help, are, are, they bolster our faith and our, and our walk. This is what God has done for us. The end of Joshua chapter 7 flows right into Joshua chapter 8. They go, they go hand in hand. And God's word to Joshua reinforces that God is no longer angry with Israel. The, the narrative makes a significant and really a hopeful turn for the nation of Israel. What can be done after such miserable failure? What can be done after failing to trust God? What can be done after failing to obey the very clear instruction that God had given them? Well, Joshua 8 answers those questions. Here it is. See the faithfulness of God. Look at the end of chapter 7. They have gone through, been defeated by Ai. The last verse, they raised over him, Achan, a great heap of stones unto this day. Here it is. So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Wherefore, the name of that place was called the Valley of Achor unto this day. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Fear not, neither be thou dismayed. Take all the people of war with you, and arise, arise, go to Ai. See, I have given into thine hand the king of Ai, and his people, and his city, and his land. The encouragement comes in two parts. First of all, God says to Joshua, don't be afraid. Now, that may have been difficult, right? They just come out of this defeat, being humiliated. This must, might have been hard for them to believe, to not be afraid. And then God says, secondly, do not be discouraged. God gives to them assurances of his continued help to the nation. 
This is repetitive of what we saw in the first chapter. Chapter 1, verse 9. Have not commanded you. Be strong and of good courage. Be not afraid. Neither be thou dismayed. For the Lord thy God is with you wherever you go. Then again in Joshua chapter 6. Before they go into Jericho. The Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given to thy, thine hand Jericho and the king thereof and the mighty men of valor. These words of assurance were not present in chapter 7 when they went to Ai the first time. His assurances were absent because of Israel's own sin. You see, the, differences, uh, the, the difference in the outcome traces back to God. It's all about complete dependence upon His power and, and complete dependence upon His ability. The whole point of the reassurance is to remind Israel how completely dependent they are upon Him, upon His power for success. God won't leave them. God won't forsake them. Even after your and mine wandering away, God will not leave us. God will not forsake us. We read from Psalm 103 earlier, verse 17 says, But the steadfast, of the Lord, steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to those who fear Him and His righteousness to His children's children. When you have a miserable failure in your walk with God, go back to the Word and receive the assurances of His help to you. He will not refuse you. He will uphold you. He is your refuge. He is your fortress. He is your help in time of need. Miserable failure plus miserable failure does not equal hopelessness when Jehovah God is part of the equation. You can find hope in the faithfulness of this promise-keeping God. Our promise-keeping God is faithful to give assurances of His help. He gives them to us right here in His Word. Secondly, we see in this passage that our promise-keeping God uh, is faithful to give guidance for His plan. Now, guidance is a good thing, right? We all enjoy guidance. Moms give guidance to their children all the time. Sometimes that guidance is received really well. Thanks, Mom, for reminding me I need to pack a lunch for, for today. Sometimes that guidance is ignored, and the dirty clothes continue to serve as carpets in the, in the bedroom. And sometimes that guidance is even scoffed at. What do you know? You're just Mom. I'll do it my way. Now, whether we receive it well or not, a mother gives guidance. A mother is issuing that guidance in one way, of her many ways, of loving her children. God blesses his children. He is faithful to bless his children with guidance for his plan. Look at verse 2. God gives the instruction. Thou shalt do to Ai and her king as thou didst unto Jericho and her king. Only the spoil thereof and the cattle thereof shall ye take for a prey unto yourself. Lay aside thee and ambush for the city behind it. So here comes the plan. So Joshua rose and all the people of war and, and to go up to, against Ai. And Joshua chose out 30,000 mighty men of valor. And he sent them away by night. And he commanded them, saying, Behold, ye shall lie in wait against the city, even behind the city. Go not very far from the city, but, but be ye all ready. And I and all the people that are with me will approach the city. And it shall come to pass that they come out against us as at the first, the first, when the, the first attack, that we will flee before them, and they, for they will come out after us. 
till we have drawn them out of the city. For they will say, they flee before us, as at the first. Therefore we will flee before them. Then ye shall rise up from the ambush and seize upon the city. For the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it shall be, when ye have taken the city, that ye shall set the city on fire according to the commandment of the Lord. Shall ye do. See, I have commanded you. God blesses his children with guidance. He, God gives them a plan. He says the Israelites will be divided into two groups. The first group would kind of gain the, the attention of the Aites. They would, Aites. they would draw them out. The second group would come in behind and serve as an ambush and burn down the city. God's plan was an ambush. Israel was to lure Ai out into a trap. This, was all point, this all points to the greatness of our God, his wisdom, his sovereignty, to orchestrate all of it, even the trickery that was behind it all. God remains faithful to us, not only remains faithful to assure his, his children of his help, he remains faithful to give guidance. Psalm 37 says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when that man is delighting in the Lord. God is faithful to give his children guidance for his plan. He doesn't just leave us to ourselves. He gives us direction. One of the most helpful actions that you can take is to ask God, to pray and to ask God for humility to receive that wisdom and for wisdom in accepting his guidance. Pray and ask God for guidance and, and submission to his plan. That's the big difference, right, between, when, between Joshua chapter 7 and Joshua chapter 8. The first time Israel went their own way, not worried about God's guidance, they were defeated. But now the second time they sought God's guidance and obeyed God's leading, our promise-keeping God is faithful to give us guidance for his plan. So watch for it. Be ready for God's guidance in your life. That doesn't happen magically. God's guidance often comes through the normal means of grace, through reading his word. As we spend time in prayer, through the church, through godly relationships that you have, and even through normal life circumstances. Rest in that direction. Be thankful for that guidance that he offers to you. And we should apply this corporately as well. This is not just individual uh, faithfulness that God is, God is showing to us individually. He's done this as a congregation. For 17 and a half years, God has been faithful to guide our congregation. He has brought men and women with different gifts to serve this body. He has put different individuals in leadership positions. He has, he has guided us and shown us very clearly at, that we should be worshiping at different physical locations. He has partnered us with, with gospel-proclaiming opportunities. He has been faithful these years to guide us. And we're just a, a, a slither of, of what's happening in church history. Christian, if you feel as if you have royally messed up in your walk, turn and see the faithfulness of God who is even guiding you now. Miserable failure plus miserable failure does not equal hopelessness when Jehovah God is part of the equation. You can find hope in the faithfulness of this promise-keeping God. He is faithful to give assurance of His help, he is faithful to give guidance for his plan. Thirdly, we see that our promise-keeping God is faithful to give victory over his enemy. And here is where we, cons we consider the actual battle scene that Israel uh, engaged in. It's verses, 7 through 29, uh, verses 9 through 29. And as I read this longer section, keep in mind that verses 11, 12, and 13 are more of a, of a flashback. It's not talking about a second ambush 
that Israel uh, was involved with. So follow along as I read beginning of verse 9. Joshua therefore sent them forth and went to, to lie in ambush and abode between Bethel and Ai, on the west side of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. And Joshua rose up early in the morning and numbered the people. Really, probably some of your translations say he mustered the people. He, he roused them to, 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 what to do what they were supposed to be doing. He, he, he mustered the people, and they went up, and, and the elders of Israel before the people to Ai. And all the people, even the people of war that were with him, went up and drew nigh and came before the city and pitched on the north side of Ai. Now there was a valley between them and Ai. And he took about 5,000 men and set them to lie in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side of the city. And when they had set the people, even all the host that was on the north city, and the liars were in wait in the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. Now, present action again. And it came to pass when the king of Ai saw it, they hasted and rose up early. And the men of the city went out against Israel to battle, he and all his people, at a time appointed before the, the plain. But he wist not that there were liars in ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all of Israel made as if they were beaten before them and fled away from uh, the way of the wilderness. And all the people that were in Ai were called together to pursue after them. And they pursued after Joshua and were drawn away from the city. And there was not a man left in Ai or Bethel that went not out after Israel. And they left the city open and pursued after Israel. And the Lord said unto Joshua, Stretch out the spear that is in thy hand toward Ai, for I will give it into thy hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that he had in his hand toward the city. And the ambush arose quickly out of their place, and they ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand. And they entered into the city and took it, and hasted and set the city on fire. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw, and behold, the smoke of the city ascended up into heaven. And they had no power to flee this way or to that. And the people that fled into the wilderness turned back upon their pursuers. And when Joshua and all of Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, then they turned and slew the men of Ai. And the other issued out of the city against them so that they were in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And they smote them, and they let none of them remain or escape. And the king of Ai, took a, was, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an, an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness wherein they had chased them, and when they were all fallen on the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned unto Ai and smote it with the edge of the sword. And so it was that all the, that fell that day, both of men and women, were 12,000, even all the men of Ai. For Joshua drew not his hand back, wherewith he stretched out his spear, until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the cattle and the spoil of the city Israel took for a prey unto, itself, unto themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he commanded Joshua. And Joshua burnt Ai, and made it in heap forever, even a desolation unto this day. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until eventide, and as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his carcass down from the tree and cast it at the entering of the gate of the city and raise thereon a great heap of stones that remains until this day. The ambush destroyed the city of Ai, then attacks the back of the army of Ai. 
The army of Ai turns and sees their city is on fire, abandons hope. They're surrounded by Israel on both sides. Joshua gives instruction for the city to be burned and for the king to be executed. And during this battle, Joshua was told, was told to hold out his weapon as a signal for the ambush to, to begin their force of attack on Ai. But this wasn't only a sign of, of military action. It was also a symbol of God's presence and his sovereignty with them and over them. Certainly would bring back to Joshua's mind the scene from Exodus chapter 17 when Moses held his, up his arms while the military leader Joshua led the Israelites against the Amalekites. The army of Ai here was caught between the ambush force and the force that had already drawn their attention out of the city. Israel takes from the, the spoils. They're allowed to do so. Maybe God was providing for them meats for them to, to supply for their their nutritional needs. The destruction of Ai was completed. Both the people who came out of the city and those who remained in the city were destroyed. 12,000. And then we see the same wording describe the fate of the king of Ai as we read from, from Joshua chapter 7 of Achan. A great heap of stones was put upon him. There are many, many lessons about God's holiness and judgment of sin to be seen in these verses. Jericho had fallen, but one man had violated God's commands. Israel was defeated as a result of Achan's sin. Achan and his family paid the penalty of his sin by being put to death. Ai also paid for its resistance to God. And a heap of stones stood as a reminder for decades, maybe even centuries, that God does not and God cannot overlook sin. The victory of Ai illustrates God's forgiveness towards a repentant people and the manner in which continued obedience is, is rewarded with victory over the struggles and the temptations of this life. My friends, we read it this morning in Psalm 103, God will forgive those who repent. And that's what he's doing through Joshua chapter 8. Friend, if you have come into this gathering this morning as a non-Christian, you've never placed your faith in Jesus. Every Sunday morning, we gather as, as Christians to be encouraged by God's word. And we issue an invitation. Sometimes it's at the end of the service, sometimes it's in the middle of the service. But we invite you, if you have not yet placed your faith in Jesus, to turn from your sin. And to believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. To believe that Jesus became accursed for us. That Jesus hung on a tree himself to pay the penalty for your sins. God is a forgiving God. He, is, he longs to, to extend forgiveness to all those who repent of sin. This victory at Ai that God gave was faithful to give. It, it illustrates his his willingness to, forget, to offer forgiveness. But this victory at Ai also reminds us that obedience to God is rewarded with, with victory over the, the struggles and the temptations of this life. We're reminded that Christ ever lives to make intercession for us. Christ made a single payment for, for the, to, make a, to, to make atonement for all of our sin. And that payment is effective. It continues on. In other words, as, as a Christian, every time you are tempted to sin, you don't have to. As a Christian, every time you are tempted to sin, 
you have the option not to sin because of what Christ has done for you, because Jesus defeated sin, because you are united to Christ's death and to his resurrection. You can enjoy victory over any temptation to sin. That is the faithfulness of God to give you victory over God's enemy. He has provided a way for you not to sin. You may have failed miserably in recent, recently in your walk with God, but he is faithful to give victory over sin, over his enemy. The songwriter, we love to sing this, this hymn at harvest. When Satan tempts me to despair, and he tells me of the guilt within, I look above and see Christ there, the one who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God, the just, he's satisfied to look on Jesus and to pardon me. This is the faithfulness of God to continually accept Jesus' work on the cross for our sin. My friend, miserable failure plus miserable failure does not equal hopelessness when Jehovah God is part of the equation. You can find hope in the faithfulness of this promise-keeping God. Our promise-keeping God is faithful to give assurance of His, of his help. Our, our promise-keeping God is faithful to give guidance for His plan. Our promise-keeping God is faithful to give victory over His enemy. And lastly, we see from this text in verses 30 through 35 that our promise-keeping God is, is faithful to give renewal in His covenants. Let me read these verses. Follow along as I begin reading in verse 30. And Joshua built an altar unto the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. And Moses, the servant of the Lord, command, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whose stones, over which no man hath lift up any iron. And they offered, therefore, burnt offerings unto the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And he wrote there upon the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he wrote in the presence of the children of Israel. And all of Israel and their elders and officers and their judges stood on this side of the ark and on that side before the priests and Levites, which bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord, as well as the stranger, as he that was born among them, half of them over against the Mount Gerizim and half of them over against Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded them, that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward... Joshua read all the words of the law, the blessings and the cursings, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not one word of all that Moses commanded, which Joshua read not before all the congregation of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers that were conversant among them. After their victory at Jericho and Ai, Israel pauses to confess and to celebrate with sacrifices a covenant renewal. Israel needed a reminder of their relationship with God. At Jericho, Israel had violated God's covenant with them, and so they needed to reaffirm His covenant. The cause of defeat was, was removed at the end of chapter 7. Victory was secured in chapter 8, and now it was time for renewal for this nation. Consider all that was included that we read. There's burnt offerings that were sacrifices that were entirely consumed by the fire. It was, they were offered as an aroma pleasing to the Lord to atone for the sins of those who make the sacrifices. 
There were also peace offerings, sacrifices uh, where some of the animal was reserved so that it could be eaten by those presenting the sacrifices. They were, they were often called fellowship sacrifices or offerings. There was a renewal, a fellowship with God that was at the core of these sacrifices. We also see, as we read these last six verses, the inclusion of Hebrew history. The renewal ceremony occurs at Mount Ebal and Gerizim. And in Deuteronomy chapter 11, it gives a description of how the people of Israel would rehearse the blessings and the curses in connection with the, with the covenants. Shechem was between the two mountains. Shechem was a location where Abraham built an altar to the Lord. Jacob brought, bought land, purchased land there, and it became home for his family. This historical rep repetition certainly was helpful in bringing to Israel back to the covenant that God had, had made with their fathers. And then there was the inclusion of God's law, God's word to them. Joshua read the words of the law in public. Joshua copied the law onto stones. What's he doing here? He's practicing the instruction from Joshua chapter 1, verse 8. This book, shall not, this book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate therein day and night. He's putting the theme, the focus, back on the law that God had given to them, how he had communicated his covenants to them. The theme of this section it comes down to Israel's obedience to God through the Mosaic law. It's positively clear. The, the right of possessing the promised land is tied to the proclamation and to the obedience of God's covenant claims on His own people. Heeding God's law, following God's word, is of utmost importance. And by having this ceremony of renewal of the covenants, the narrator is saying that Israel's success is not primarily dependent upon wiping out the Canaanites as they come to each city. Their success is primarily, foundationally, going to be evident as they submit themselves to the law, to the Word of God. So both looking forward and looking backward, Success would be measured by their submission to God. Recommitting to their covenants brought renewal to Israel. Now, brothers and sisters, your obedience to God matters. Your following of God's instruction, your individual obedience to the word of God must be of utmost importance to you. Obedience is an evidence. It's, it, gives, it gives proof of, of saving faith. And committing our hearts and our minds to obeying God is one way that we display our dependence upon Him, our, our, our request of Him, our dependence upon Him to restore to us the joy of our salvation. We each need this renewal. Every one of us needs to feel the effect that we eat, every one of us feels the effects of our miserable failures from day to day. And we need to be drawn back to the good news of Jesus. We need to come back to the gospel. We need constant reminders that though our sins are many, His mercy is more. That's what we need. God is faithful to provide opportunities for you to be renewed. Now careful. I'm not talking about being born again a second and a third and a fourth time. I'm not talking about getting re-saved. I'm not talking about coming to initial faith in Christ again. Rather, I'm talking about the tools 
and the means that God in his grace and, and good kindness has given to us to ordain, and to, he's ordained for us to help us after, especially after, a miserable failure. A means like coming together as God's people on the Lord's Day to worship him. The writer of Hebrews tells us, don't forsake coming together. Why? So that we can fill out an attendance record? So we can all mark, give ourselves a check mark for being in church, being gathering with the church? No. So that we can be reminded when we come together of the faithfulness of God to us, even after a week full of screw-ups in our life, in our relationships. The church gathers. The gathering of a church is part of God's plan for renewal for you. Paul David Tripp says it this way. Corporate worship rescues us again and again by reminding us that there is only one glory worth giving our lives to, the glory of God. Worship, corporate worship, helps you see once more that it is only when you live for God that your heart finds the peace, the satisfaction, and the security that it is continually seeking after. Another one of the means that God has given to us is coming to the Lord's table when we have communion together. Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So it's a time where we come and we confess our sins. We acknowledge that we have wandered, wandered away from God as sheep do from a shepherd. And we confess our sins and we acknowledge that our, that our hope is only found in the blood of Christ. Another means that God has encouraged us towards is to establish regular quiet time with the Lord where we read His Word and we pray. Those times, as brief as they may be because of all of the things that are, that are pushing into your life, give renewal as you meditate on the Gospel, as you remember, as you, as you consider the fact that though your sins are many, His mercy is more. After miserable failings, you've done this this week, I've done this this week, I've taken of the accursed thing. We've done just like Achan. We have failed miserably. After failing miserably, take your heart back to the gospel. Take your heart back to the forgiveness that God offers, to the renewal that His mercies are there for you. We read of it this way in Lamentations. A prayer. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore... I will hope in Him. The faithfulness of our promise-keeping God. Take a minute now to zoom out and to notice the sequence from Joshua 8. Battle goes to battle. Victory, then sacrifice. Renewal, remembering, covenant. Battle, victory, sacrifice. The gospel reverses that order. 
First is the sacrifice of Jesus. Second is his victory at the cross when he cried out, It is finished. Payment has been made. Victory was second when he rose from the dead three days later. Then, third, for us, comes the battle. Christians, the sacrifice has been made. The victory has been won. But there is still a battle to be fought until Christ returns or calls us home. The call is to, to faithfully follow Christ now, the captain of our salvation. So your battle against remaining sin, your battle against the sin that, that is still besetting you, is besetting to your faith, it's, it's ever before you. Your battle against remaining sin may be, the, be most evident in the different roles that you have. Maybe in your role as a mom or in, in a physical disease that you have or in temptations to sin. And Joshua chapter 8 testifies that your promise-keeping God is faithful to continue give you, giving you assurances of his help to you. Joshua chapter 8 testifies that your promise-keeping God is, is faithful to give you guidance for his plan for your life. Joshua chapter 8 testifies that God is faithful to give a complete victory over his enemy that is evident in your life. And Joshua chapter 8 testifies that your promise-keeping God will give renewal to you through his covenant. His mercies are new every morning. Christian, the sacrifice has been made. The victory has been secured. Now it's time to walk in obedience to his word. So just as God had given his instruction to his servant Joshua to rise up and to go into the city and to take action in this battle. It's time for us because God has made this sacrifice of his son, because Jesus has attained this victory. It's time for us to rise up and to go into battle. So rise up, Harvest Bible Church. Put your armor on. Let us stand against the devil's lies. Rise up, Harvest Bible Church. Let us fight with faith and with valor while we are surrounded by the trials of this life. Rise up, Harvest Bible Church. Let us rest in the good news that Christ has already secured the outcome for us. Rise up, Harvest Bible Church moms. You may have failed miserably in your attempts with child-rearing last week, but God is faithful to give you assurance after assurance of his help for you next week. Rise up, Harvest Bible Church young person. You may have failed miserably in your thought life this year, but God has already gained the victory for you through Christ. Rise up, Harvest Bible Church widow. Your failure to trust during times of great loneliness may be a discouragement to you, but God is faithful to give you his assurances of help for the days ahead. Rise up, Harvest Bible Church. You may have failed a thousand times this past week, but the mercies of God are new this morning, every morning. His compassions can never fail. Great is his faithfulness. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.